Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Blanchard Valley Health System has received yet another national accolade. They'll tell you it's the people who make it happen. We'll meet the new Chief People Officer at BVHS. Also this morning, in case you missed it, Finley mayoral hopeful Haiti Sadler sparred with incumbent Mayor Christina Mern about their vision for the city's future ahead of May's primary election at last night's candidate forum. We'll recap some of the highlights. Despite all the hype and fears over lost gas tax revenue, electric vehicles still make up less than 5% of the cars on the road. What does the future really hold for EVs? And everybody cut foot loose. Members of the cast will join us to preview this weekend's Findlay High School musical. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, March 30th, 2023. We were mentioning this a little bit earlier this week. If the weather cooperates in all of the cities that'll be starting today, if the weather cooperates and all of the games get in, this will be the first time since 1968, I believe they said, that every Major League Baseball team will open the season on the same day. So, pretty uh, substantial. And uh, if you're thinking of... Going to the game, ticket prices going through the roof for some of the league's biggest matchups. The Yankees' home opener uh, pits Captain Aaron Judge against his boyhood ball club, the Giants, with an average ticket price, an average ticket price of $360. Uh, Defending World Series champion Houston Astros hosts the White Sox in Houston, seats going for an average of $262. Um, Fans in Miami can see the Marlins take on the Mets for as low as $19. (laughs) Average sales hovering just below uh, $100 a pop. So I think that's the uh, most affordable ballpark to go to today. So uh, dig deep into your pockets for... uh, Ticket to a Major League Baseball game these days. Meanwhile, uh, the Mud Hens open tomorrow, right? So the minor league season uh, begins tomorrow. Yeah, it's a little more uh, affordable for a family to go to the old ball game. New rule changes this year, Major League Baseball. In case you haven't been paying attention to the spring training games, they've been introducing these uh, rule changes. The biggest one, the most visible change, is the new pitch clock. Uh, pitchers will have just 15 seconds to deliver uh, the next throw to the plate. That's if the bases are empty. It's 20 seconds if there are runners on base. Um, And those runners may have an easier time stealing a base because the bases are now 20% larger, physically 20% larger than they used to be, uh, thus reducing the distance between first and second by four and a half inches. And, of course, making it easier to hit the bag when you go into second base, beat the the, uh, throw. Uh, Let's see here. Teams also will not be able to stack infielders to one side of the field. New restrictions on the defensive shift. Although, uh, I've been reading some stories about uh, creative ways that managers have been getting around those rules already. Uh, moving players in different ways to essentially uh, stack uh, defenders in a similar way. But 
Uh, so new rules, though, uh, on the shift. Major League Baseball says the rule changes should encourage faster, more dynamic play and cut down on the length of the game. So want to make the game go quicker because you're paying more and they want to get you out of there. <laughs> you're paying more and they want to make sure that you get less entertainment. That's what they want to make it quicker. <laughs> If we could all do that, you know what I mean? If we could all do that in our jobs. They're charging more and making the games faster. I would love to go in uh, to my boss and say, you know what? Uh, I want a 50% raise. I'm going to work half the time. That's going to cut the, my time down by a third or whatever. <laughs> Only in Major League Baseball. That um, I, but ba- there's something very right about... You know, the return of baseball. Um, and, of course, you know, it means spring and uh, the warmer weather is coming and all of that. And I think we're all ready for that. But it's it's just it harkens back to a simpler time. Isn't that what we have always loved about the great American pastime? This is just harkens back to a, a simpler time, a time before social media and smartphones and uh, all of that. And apparently we uh, are are ready for this. Uh, in our lives today, did you have you seen this? The uh, the latest trend, the latest retro trend, is dumb phones making a comeback, as opposed to you know the smartphones that we all carry around. Um, they are technically called feature phones, although they have many fewer features than what today's modern smartphones have. But these feature phones were last seen. In the early 2000s, before smartphones kind of took over the universe, um, they may have basic internet connectivity, but only a tiny screen, no video, no fancy games. Um, in most cases, not even a physical keyboard. You remember having to send text messages by, you know, selecting letters with your numeric keypad. You had to hit six four times if you wanted. <laughs> you wanted to. You know, put a an M or an O or whatever. You know what I mean? Is you remember those days? Well, they are making a comeback. Brands like Nokia continue to sell feature phones in the millions in other countries, and according to CNBC, they are gaining popularity among young Americans in this country who are worried that they are too tied to their smartphones, too wrapped up in their smartphones, and uh, want a minimalist alternative so you never know the next uh the next millennial or gen zer uh that you see may pull a flip phone out of their pocket and uh, use that instead of their uh, smartphone it's a it's a trend i don't know uh but they are making a comeback here's the thing though if you still if you're thinking in the back of your mind hey i have one of those old flip phones stuck in a drawer somewhere that i haven't used in years maybe i should just dust that off and reactivate it and use that instead of my smartphone can't do it because most of those phones i think all of those phones um are on on older cellular technology that has long since been deactivated so if you want a dumb phone you still have to go out and buy a new one um because those uh, older feature phones uh, no longer work on today's cellular networks, but becoming a uh, 
are becoming a thing here. Kind of interesting. Simpler times. Simpler times. Uh, here's, speaking of harkening back to the days of simpler times and uh, technology kind of getting away from us a little bit, did you happen to see this? More than a thousand scientists and tech experts have drafted a letter advising the developers of artificial intelligence to just cool it, to slow down, uh, put the brakes on for six months. That's what they're saying. Just give it six months uh, to let our sensibilities kind of catch up to what you're doing here. Um, During the intervening time, the tech experts and scientists suggest, uh, they could they should consider the potential hazards of introducing artificial intelligence to the world. So basically, they're saying, hey, hit the pause button and think about what you're doing for a little while before you uh, keep moving forward with this AI thing. Uh, the dangers that they foresee include the unleashing of vast amounts of misinformation on the world and the prospect that intelligent machines could eventually do just about any job that a human does now. Just about. Not any job, but just about any job. I think the estimate was like, like 350 million workers could be displaced by artificial intelligence robots. And they say, this is not a good thing. We are getting ahead of ourselves with this technology here. Maybe we need to just pause and think about it a little bit. Um, and I would have to... Agree. I mean, I think uh, that maybe we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. And it's always been the uh, the constant question, right? It's always been the constant struggle. Just because we can do something, does that mean we should? Just because we have the ability to create these incredibly smart, human-like computers, does that mean we should? Um, I mean, have you never seen an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man from back in the 70s? had those intelligent robots, and they took over the world. Man, I tell you, I'm worried about this. I think we're uh, opening a Pandora's box. We may not be able to control. And we had the uh, story the other day about the uh, scientists, uh, one of the creators of artificial intelligence, warning that, uh, yeah, uh, robots and computers could actually supplant human beings, uh, could actually take over the world. If we're not careful. So basically, what they're saying is, maybe we should start being careful. Good idea. Let's be careful here. Um, I wonder what the robots would themselves would say. <laughs> you should ask the AI robots if we should stop creating more AI robots and advancing the technology. They'd probably even tell you, yeah, it's probably not a good idea. If they're as smart as they say they are. Anyway... Uh, and one other item here among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, here is something to watch for over the weekend. Despite being nearly 93 million miles away, a hole on the surface of the sun could wreak havoc on Earth later this week and into the weekend. The Solar Dynamics Observatory of NASA has released a photo showing a triangular-shaped dark gap in the sun's surface that is that appears small. I mean, when you think of the surface of the sun, it's it's rather small. But this uh, this gap is actually twenty times larger than Earth. That's how big it is, and 
kind of says something about how much bigger than Earth the sun is. But anyway, uh, this enormous hole in the, in the surface of the sun, known as a coronal hole, has unleashed, you ready for this, 1.8 million mile per hour solar winds. Let me repeat that. 1.8 million mile per hour solar winds. And they are headed straight for our planet. Now, before you think, oh my goodness, this is all doom and gloom, we're all going to die. No. But uh, coronal holes are a common occurrence on the sun. Uh, areas of open magnetic uh, and uh, areas of open magnetic field from which high-speed solar wind rushes out into space, and uh, what that means in layman's terms—I'm not a scientist—but in layman's terms, um, it will cause beautiful natural light displays called auroras in the sky. That's right, the northern lights. Solar winds can also disrupt satellites in space, power grids, and GPS navigation systems. So there are some things that we got to watch, watch out for. But uh, we could see the northern lights, the aurora borealis, with all of this uh, solar wind that's heading toward Earth, uh, will impact us tomorrow on Friday. So if you... Uh, have ever wanted to see the Northern Lights? They're going to be your uh, opportunity. I guess. Maybe it'd be uh, be visible uh, much further south than it usually is. So there you go. But it could also interrupt some of our communications. So there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. This is ONN. I'm Kate Burdett on the Ohio News Network. Some Republicans at the State House want a requirement that proposed constitutional amendments get a 60% approval in statewide votes instead of a simple majority. And there's talk of having Ohioans vote on that change in August. Secretary of State Frank LaRose. I hope that if there's a question of changing the Ohio Constitution, that Ohioans are excited to participate in that election. The change would come ahead of a possible November ballot question on abortion access. The Community Church of Chesterland, east of Cleveland, had minor damage when it was vandalized last week after announcing a Drag Queen Story Hour, an event the church still plans to hold this Saturday. Emma Henderson with ONN affiliate WKYC-TV has more. With the news that alt-right extremist group The Proud Boys are planning to protest the event, coordinators like Mallory McMaster have thanks for all the support they've received. She believes a strong message will be sent to hate groups this weekend. They are going to come here because they think Geauga County is a place where they will be welcome, but they're wrong. The Chester Township Police Chief says they have a robust safety plan for the event involving multiple law enforcement agencies. In Chesterland, Emma Henderson. And a federal judge has upheld approval of the Boy Scouts' $2.4 billion bankruptcy plan. It would allow the organization to keep operating while it compensates tens of thousands of men who say they were sexually abused as children involved in scouting. I'm Kate Burdett on the Ohio News Network. And now our cover story this morning. As we mentioned, Blanchard Valley Health System has received yet another national accolade. And they will tell you it is their people who make it happen. And so with that, I want to introduce the new Chief People Officer at Blanchard Valley Health System, Eric Proctor. Mr. Proctor, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. First of all, we appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for having me so, here. So uh, this latest uh, honor is uh, the, being named uh, among the uh, top 50 healthcare supply chains. Uh, just the latest 
in a number of uh, national honors and awards that uh, Blanchard Valley Health System has received uh, in in recent years. Uh, one of the top uh, healthcare systems uh, in the uh, in the country. So, like I said, they will always tell you whenever one of these things come uh, come up. It's the people that make it happen. So what does a chief people officer do? Well, it really is true. It is our people who make everything that we do happen at Blanchard Valley. And, you know, a chief people officer. So I get that question quite frequently. And, you know, you may have heard it uh, historically called a a chief human resources officer or a vice president of human resources. For me, it was actually one of the big draws to Finley, Ohio and to Blanchard Valley is that they called it a chief people officer because that really shows the commitment to people. I was going to say, is that uh, just semantics or is there uh, something different about the the mindset, the job description, that kind of thing? You know, I think there's something different um, in the mindset and, you know, how we really prioritize our people. Uh, It's all about engagement, keeping our team members engaged. So, you know, it was important to us to have an engaging title. Uh, You know, it's all about recruitment. It's all about bringing in new associates but also about retaining and developing the associates that have made Blanchard Valley such a special place for so many years. Now, you actually uh, come to this position with an interesting background. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you kind of bring to the table here. Sure. So I actually started in sports marketing, and then I did what any sports marketer would do. I launched into a career in human resources, and (laughs) I uh, really have always tried to market a benefits package or an employment opportunity with the same excitement that you would a professional athlete. But after that, I I was in um, uh, banking and in higher education, and then I joined a large uh, four-state hospital system in the southeast. So I'm from North Carolina. So so this is a bit of a culture shock with the uh, weather and all of that. You actually have uh, all of the seasons and everything here now? You do. You do. And, you know, uh, (laughs) one of the other questions I often get is, uh, you know, why why move from North Carolina? (laughs) To Ohio. The more that I am here, I I think the better question is, what took me so long? Well, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask. What what drew you to this area, to this position, to Black? Blanchard Valley Health System. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just such a special area. The more that uh, my family and I have been here, the more we fell in love with uh, Ohio and with Finley. And there's just so many um, things, I think, that, that make it it's so special. But it really is the people. You know, I think back to uh, being in North Carolina and our pediatrician uh, who is from Ohio said, Ohio people are my favorite people in the world. And I've really seen that to be so true. So what an honor it is to be a chief people officer right here in Finley, working with some of the best people in the world. So what are some of the priorities uh, for uh, for you as the chief people officer at BBHS kind of moving forward? Sure, absolutely. You know, it really is about uh, telling the story of Blanchard Valley and of Finley, Ohio. You know, we're an employer of choice. Finley is uh, a community of choice. Uh, Just like our patients have a choice of where they receive their care, our employees have an opportunity to to work anywhere. And we want to make sure that that career home is at Blanchard Valley. So you'll see me really invested a lot in uh, promoting not just BVHS, but the community of of Finley, Ohio. Uh, So you'll see uh, a lot of projects that come out with with that in mind. It's also all about uh, continuing to develop our leaders and our associates and really just, you know, how do we as an organization care for each other? And I think the pandemic has been hard on everyone. And so coming out of the pandemic, you know, we have a lot that we need to invest in in our team members. It, it is an interesting time. It certainly uh, was the past couple, three years, uh, very 
I want to say taxing, I guess, is maybe the best word to describe uh, the impact of the pandemic on the healthcare system. How does that uh, impact what you do, it, not just here, but I guess uh, in large part uh, looking at the big picture for healthcare systems in general uh, moving forward post pandemic? What, yeah. is, what is that? It, I'm imagining a bit of a different environment uh, post pandemic than what it was prior. You know, it really is. And I actually joined healthcare in the midst of the pandemic, right? When everything <laughs> perfect was timing. Like, perfect timing, exactly. Yeah. But what I saw was a community of clinicians and associates uh, really across the country who were just stepping up and banding together to provide quality care to uh, the communities that they serve. And Blanchard Valley is the perfect example of that. You know, our associates at Blanchard Valley, our physicians, everyone stepped up just to provide care when care was needed the most. And so, you know, for me, I take a huge responsibility in uh, providing that care back to Team VVHS. So it is hugely important. Does uh, Is that one of the things that makes it uh, significant that, again, you're kind of readjusting this mindset in human resources to, quote-unquote, chief people officer, given some of the issues that we saw come up uh, in the healthcare industry uh, during the pandemic with, uh, you know, a lot of long hours, burnout, a lot of uh, struggles of nurses, doctors, critical care staff, that kind of thing. Readjustment is a great word. And, you know, you'll see another reword if you look out in uh, the headlines. And there's been a lot of, of emphasis about, uh, you know, the great resignation. Well, what we're seeing now is that that's turning into the great reimagination. And so we have an opportunity to look at, you uh, you know, the service that, that we provide to each other and to say, you know, what does that look like going forward? I think it actually becomes a very exciting time for our associates to be able to, you know, define the ways in which they want to work. And it allows us to be able to look ahead toward the future of medicine, toward home health, toward precision medicine. So, you know, we had a, a you know, a dip in terms of the pandemic, but we're rebounding. And uh, I've seen that Blanchard Valley is doing that in such a strong way. You kind of touched on earlier the fact that you see this as uh, a position that goes beyond just Blanchard Valley Health System and promoting the uh, community uh, as a whole, which kind of leads to the question. And and by the way, of course, most folks know, or if you don't, uh, probably should know, Blanchard Valley Health System among the uh, major uh, top employers uh, in the community. What does this mean? What does all of this mean for patients, for members of the community? Yes, you know, it, it all comes down to to the patients. It It's not lost on me that you can't spell the word career without the word care. And so everyone that we bring in, everyone that we develop, everyone that we upskill, we do that in service of the patient and we do it to continue to provide quality care. So continuing to bring amazing physicians, uh, amazing talent into Finley, Ohio, is just going to continue to deliver upon the quality care that we promise to this community. You mentioned that you your background actually initially was outside of the uh, healthcare system. Does that bring a unique uh, perspective to that mission? You know, I, I think I, I hope so, right? Because I, I think that you know, there's a lot that we can learn from other industries. There's a lot that other industries can learn from healthcare. You know, we're a, a service-oriented organization, but I think we can learn a lot from from other industries as well. For me, coming into healthcare was very personal. My uh, son had actually uh, uh, spent 60 days in the hospital after losing the ability to to walk and talk and sit up, and he's rebounded quite well. But 
you know, during that time, we knew what it was like to um, not have answers and to need to lean on um, talented members of the medical community. And so for me, it was a time to, to really give back, to pivot industries and, and to give back much of what we had received from healthcare to be able to give that back to healthcare. So for me, it gives me a, a, a personal perspective and a personal mission. So you have been on the job here uh, for how long now? Almost three months, which okay. I can remember because I have a three-month-old. So that <laughs> makes it a little easy for me there, to keep track. There you go. Another uh, great timing for uh, starting a, a new job with a, a newborn a, as well. And what has been uh, the biggest uh, surprise or the biggest, you know, the, the, that, those first impressions? Gosh, yeah. You know, the biggest surprise for me has been a very pleasant one. When you're interviewing for an organization, of course, the organization seems amazing, you know, everyone puts their best foot forward and they really promote the organization. And my biggest surprise has been, wow, everything they told me during the interview is true. And so, you know, coming into any organization to be able to, to just, you know, see the care that they provide is incredible. We promote psychological safety. Uh, it's a very safe and caring environment. And, you know, I, I would say I'm, I'm more impressed with the organization three months in than I even was when I was evaluating making a, a life change. Again, as we mentioned, Blanchard Valley Health System recently receiving another national accolade for uh, supply chain uh, uh, efficiency. Uh, just one of many, and here's to many more. As we said, they will will say it's all about the people and Chief People Officer uh, Eric Plachter from uh, Blanchard Valley Health System with us uh, this morning. Eric, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, in case you missed it last evening, Mayor Christina Mern and Mayoral hopeful Haiti Sadler sparred over a number of issues facing the city and the city's future in our candidate forum at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. The most spirited exchange came in the discussion about the city's strategic plan and communication between the mayor and city residents, and this was some of that discussion. You mentioned that much of what is becoming part of the strategic plan, in your words, was not what the people want. Can you give a, uh, some examples? You know, the thing about our community is that we have, a, we have an industrial park, we have beautiful hospitals, we're a micropolitan city. I mean, it's a great community that we live in. The, I think what we're forgetting is the people. There is nowhere for these people that are spending their days in these manufacturing plants. They have to leave town just to go shopping. Our children, look at my family, is filled with children, and we have to go to Toledo to go to an urban air, a sky zone. We want to build a beautiful community. We want to make it organic. We have to start with the people to make sure that they're happy here and staying here. You know, we're... They're talking about, uh, there's a conversation about how, how college students graduate and how we keep them in Finley, keep the workforce. Well, if there's nothing for the workforce to do but go down into the Dora uh, area and drink and eat, and there's no recreation for anybody, you know, in the middle class, I mean, I think that's a little bit of the problem because it's the middle class that's, in, that's working over there in the industrial park. I mean, we are the people. Right? So I think a happy people would make for a beautiful community, and that's kind of what I'm seeing. 
Mayor Mern, let me uh, ask you, uh, I'll frame the question in this way. As Ms. Sadler mentioned, um, and this is probably true of, of many uh, surveys of this type, the uh, surveys in the strategic planning process uh, sometimes don't get as much engagement by community members as, as what we you would like. What would be strategies to engage more individuals in these types of conversations? You know, I would love to hear more feedback from the community and would have loved to have seen more engagement. And we put out, you know, newspaper ads, we held forums, we held online surveys, we engaged with all these different, or, you know, groups. I do think that we missed the mark a little bit from the standpoint of we were so focused on this mentality of protecting the process from any single organization having undue influence that we really tried to say we only want to hear directly from the people, especially, and I think that that is proper, the first round of engagement. However, when you have organizations that have specific expertise and an organizational body or memberships that can speak directly to some of the areas of concern and gather feedback, we probably should have engaged them sooner. Um, so I would have loved to see additional um, feedback. We did then reach back out and start trying to garner more in, you know, interest and engagement, but I would say the process is not at all over. Um, we are continuing to seek feedback. The draft plan is out at finleyforwardplan.com. The committee has open emails just as we have open phone lines and my office hours. You can call and schedule time anytime. Um, so we are always seeking feedback. The, the meetings, strategic planning committee meetings are open. Um, there is not an easy fix to getting people to engage um, in the process. Um, I think it's, you know, a societal issue of people, you know, don't engage until they're upset by something and then they show up and they're not really sure what they're upset about or they're not able to kind of vocalize what changes they want to see. So it's just, it's a balance. Um, I would, however, like to speak, I do think that the feedback overall has been very representative. If you go on again onto the website, you can see the data and see how it was culminated by our independent consulting firm that said, here were the percentage of feedback and comments that we received broken down by category. Now I think that there was, oh shoot, I'm almost out of time. <laughs> if I may just mention one other thing related to bringing in businesses. I would love to have a sky zone and a fully developed, you know, Easton-like mall and additional, you know, businesses. I am a citizen here. I grew up here. I want to shop here. I want to invest my dollars here. That's not how economic development works. Businesses decide where they are going. We reach out to these businesses all the time. There are ongoing conversations with lots of the big names. But ultimately, a business goes where they think there is a sustainable opportunity for them to make money. And we got to continue to grow our community so that it is viable when they look at us. Ms. Sadler, I've read many of the posts on your social media page and the blog posts from your campaign website that includes some thinly veiled accusations of a lack of transparency in local government, at times going so far as to imply that city leaders, including the mayor, have not always acted in the city's best interest. Can you cite a specific example of this? Well, a couple of things. Um, when we were talking about the historical museum over there, the, the YMCA tearing down those houses, Christina sits on the board of the YMCA and receiving ARPA funds, taxpayer dollars, to tear down these homes. It, and they did, they did not make it public to the city. As a matter of fact, the residents around that area said that they were very sneaky about it. That's one thing. While we're fighting the opioid crisis, you know, um, an ordinance 2023-2022, um, they're giving uh, 
authorization for the mayor to enter an, into an agreement for the national opioid settlement crisis. So I looked into what this what this is, and she was mentioning something about Johnson and Johnson. During that council meeting, I, one of the councilmen said, "Oh, you mentioned this national opioid settlement crisis." She's like, "Oh, I was going to talk talk about that." There was no information in the packet. I don't have the information. I don't know if it was put up. I think I printed the entire package. I would like to see what the national opioid settlement crisis is because she mentions Johnson and Johnson. Well, Johnson, let me back up a little bit. I started talking to Harm Reduction Ohio. Ohio Harm Reduction, they, they engaged me in conversation and they said with the national opioid settlement crisis that none of the funds goes to the families. And guess what? None of the, fund, none of the ARPA funds are going to, to, to the families, to the community. They're not building programs and, and giving back to the community. They're not, they're not doing, they're just building the, the city bigger and the people are crying out, like slow down. Um, so uh, then uh, then I have to ask if you're mentioning Johnson & Johnson through the National Opioid Settlement Crisis. Um, Johnson & Johnson is a pharmaceutical company. Is this like, who's, who's receiving this money? Johnson & Johnson, pharmaceutical drugs, but the street drugs are different. So I, I, I'm confused as to how that's benefiting anyone while we're receiving more money. Mayor Mern, uh, you care to respond to the criticism of a lack of transparency? Yeah, you, you know what? there's always room for improvement on communication. The city is not intentionally trying to hide anything, but we have hundreds of projects going on all the time. So we can work to continue to you know, put information out there. Again, I mentioned that we have a project manager in my office now that is helping with a lot of things, and one of the specific items is putting more information out on social media. People are extremely difficult to communicate with right now um, because people are decreasing their involvement with you know, um, news you know, media, um, they're getting their information on social media, and before we hired this individual, I'm the communications person, so I'm doing everything and trying to get information out on social media, so that is challenging. I would like to, if I may, address some of her comments related sure. to specific things. So the opioid settlement is the state settlement that began, I believe, back in 2017 was the original time that the city of Finley determined to engage. And what that is, is because of the opioid crisis, there is a lawsuit against pharmaceutical companies saying that you were pushing opioids and lying about their addictive tendencies. And so the state, the attorney general, took a stance and started suing those pharmaceutical companies saying you are, you are liable. So what the city of Finley did is instead of trying to sue them on our own and racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, we said we will participate with the state. And then the state is negotiating on our behalf. And then there is a national opioid settlement going off against seven or eight different pharmaceutical companies. They're now also going over the retailers. Um, and so the city of Finley, what that specific legislation was doing, and the reason there wasn't an you know, a letter explaining it, was because I got it and they said, hey, we need signature in 30 days. Well, because we have our meetings every other Tuesday, it's 45 days, we need to get it on the agenda and it was already past the deadline to get things on the agenda, and I wanted to make sure that it was on the agenda when it was sent out. 
So what we authorized there was saying, instead of having to come back every ordinance and naming the new company, that if the state of Ohio agrees to pursue them and they settle, the city of Finley will automatically be included in the predetermined allocation of those funds that we will then utilize locally under the parameters to address the opioid um, situation here. So far to date, we have only received about $10,000, and we're working with Hancock County and some other agencies to determine the best use of those funds. Some of the back and forth between Mayor Christina Mern and mayoral hopeful Haiti Sadler from last night's candidate forum at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. If you missed it, you can go back and view the video from the entire hour-long discussion at the WFIN Facebook page. We had uh, on Facebook Live last night, and so that is archived there. We do have the link up at our webpage at goodmornings.net. Very consequential May primary coming up with respect to the uh, mayor's race locally. So you remember yesterday we were spoke, speaking uh, with uh, State Representative John Cross about uh, Ohio's multi-billion dollar transportation budget bill, hammering out all of the final details of that, getting it signed for needed road and bridge work. And we talked a little bit about ODOT's ongoing study into how funding for uh, road projects and bridge projects will be collected in the future because uh, obviously going more electric these days and uh, you know where that means less gas tax revenue and and so on well i looked it up and this is kind of interesting uh despite all of the hype and the fears over the loss of gas tax revenue electric vehicles still make up less than five percent of all of the cars on the road and this is actually uh, kind of timely for me in a sense because earlier this month Uh, I bought a new car, well, a new-to-me car anyway. It is a hybrid, and I love the added gas mileage and the fewer stops at the gas station. I I really love it. To be honest, I did actually consider an EV, but I am just not ready, not quite ready to pull the trigger yet, right? And I think that's where a lot of people are as the industry moves more and more toward electrified vehicles. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about this, and joining us this morning is longtime industry veteran James Bell. We've spoken with him a number of times on the program. He currently serves as Director of Corporate Communications for Kia America. And James, I would imagine that this is maybe the biggest question being debated in the boardrooms of automakers right now. What is that sweet spot between moving toward an all-EV fleet and getting too far ahead of where buyers are? Uh, on this. So what is the first thing that consumers need to know about electric vehicles? Well, I think the first thing is, and first off, I love your story, by the way. I think <laughs> you are exactly where a lot of people's heads are yeah. in regards to ready to do something different, but maybe not ready to go all in. But I think um, the real trick is, and you've obviously done this, is to take stock of what your real personal transportation needs are. I think in many cases, you know, there, there's something about the American car buying psyche is that, well, we need to buy the biggest thing we can because every now and then I have to go pick up my aunt at the airport yeah. or we might, you know, throw the dog in the tent and the kids in the back and, and go camping. Well, you're not doing that every day. And so, you know, most people drive on average uh, about 28 to 27 miles per day. Uh, you know, it's commuting to and from work to pick the kids up at school, to run errands. Uh, it, it's really just kind of scooting around. 
And that's where electrified transportation, your hybrid, fits into this space. Mm. But definitely a full electric vehicle does even more so. Because, the you know, again, our Kia's cheapest EV today uh, gets pretty darn close to 300 miles of range. So if the average American's driving, say, 30 miles a day, well, that's more than a week's worth of driving before you even have to think about charging. Yeah. And it just relieves so much of the pressure. You're never going to a gas station again. It's It really is for more drivers than they expect, the right choice. Now, you mentioned range, and of course, early on, it was that range anxiety that held people back. And of late, there have been a lot of concerns, there have been a lot of stories about how weather impacts range. I mean, you're coming out of winter, and in some parts of the country, it has been a rough winter, and so there have been stories about how weather impacts range. How does electric vehicle range work? Yes. So, um, you know, just like your cell phone, essentially, it's something that you're, you know, you charge up overnight or you charge in a high speed charging environment and kids, uh, EVs will charge from 10% to 80% in about uh, 15 minutes. So that's almost like filling up a gas tank kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, to your question about the, the weather. Yeah. B- batteries are, uh, they like to be kept comfortable. They're like humans in that regard. And what some of the stories that have come out have been from uh, some of Kia's competitors that do not put what's called a heat pump into the battery uh, kind mm. of cooling and heating system. Okay. Uh, and and you know, I'm proud to say Kia has that on every on every EV that we make. Uh, but um, you know, in, in those vehicles that don't have a heat pump, yes, it's been pointed out that sometimes the range gets cut uh, by fifty percent or more. Uh, with a, a Kia EV or any EV that has a heat pump, the range loss is more in the 15 to 20 percent. Um, but it's it's just an inevitable part of a battery setup uh, until we come up with new battery chemistries, which are coming uh, very shortly. So it is a it is a concern. But you know we're at this transitional time. Um, the idea of, of of moving away from gasoline is a little nervous for some. But the, the the proverbial switch has been flipped, and it's only going to get better as time goes by. You know, one of the things that I have noticed just in driving my hybrid here for a couple of weeks, you can almost immediately tell when it's in yeah. EV mode. It just feels different the way it is being yeah. propelled. And that's even more true in pure electric vehicles. As it happens, my son does have an EV, and riding in it feels different than a conventional car. What are the differences between electric and gas? gasoline-powered vehicles? Well, I mean, it comes down to that big, uh, oily, noisy thing in the front. And a gasoline-powered car, you know, you, you, you've you got the, the range. You know, we talk about range. Average gasoline-powered car gets you about 350 to 400 miles of range. Mm-hmm. So not that dissimilar from a gasoline-powered car, to be, to be fair. Uh, but the big difference is that driving experience. You know, I like to say that... Um, uh, driving an electrified vehicle, especially an EV, is very luxurious. And the reason I mean that is that when you, you know, if you're able to charge at home, which most Americans are, you leave your house every day with a full tank of gas. That is a luxury. That takes away some of the stress of, of daily life, of, of thinking, oh, I've got to get to my next appointment. Ah, I've got to get gas first. There's pressure. That's gone. Uh, the second part is the driving experience. Because electric powertrain is you know it, it's like an electric switch on your uh on your house you don't flip a switch uh to put the lights on in the living room and then wait for the engine to rev up the power is right there yeah and so you you find that the you, the available torque in electric vehicle is very luxurious 
The other part is just the quietness. I mean, in your hybrid, you come to a uh, a red light and sit there waiting. Right. You're in quiet mm-hmm. because the engine turns off. And of course, an electric vehicle, there's no engine at all. So those three factors really kind of promote calmness and uh, luxury. <laughs> and so the EV experience is much more than just uh, not going to the gas station ever again. Yeah, in in fact, uh, I have been known in my own driveway to forget to turn my car off uh, when I'm done, <laughs> I'm done driving. The car's got to remind me to turn it off. Right. Um, obviously, the, the first EVs were cars. You talk about the evolving technology. The first EVs were cars. Now we have electric trucks. We have electric F- SUVs, which is significant progress given that these are the types of vehicles that buyers are predominantly interested in. Do you think that the availability of these types yeah. of EVs as the technology is advanced have brought more people around to the idea of electric powered vehicles? And what, what is next on the horizon? Oh, yeah. I hear what you're saying there, and I completely agree. In fact, I'm pretty excited to uh, double down on that and say at the New York Auto Show in about uh, two weeks, we're going to be introducing a new vehicle called the EV9, which is a seven-passenger electric vehicle, the SUV style that Americans, as you correctly say, love so much. Uh, Real similar in size to like um, a Chevy Tahoe or a Kia Telluride kind of thing. And And I think you're absolutely right. The, the, the thought today may be, hmm, I, I want an EV, I have to look at Tesla. Well, no, now we have a lot of more competitors there. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I want an EV, it's going to mean something small, uh, maybe a small SUV kind of thing or a sedan. Well, we're about to change that too. So, yeah, what I think once we get into vehicles like this new EV9, it's really going to open up the consideration set much, much wider than it is today, especially when you consider that most of the buyers of the, uh, you know, the classic seven passenger SUVs are, are, you know, people who are using them as commuter vehicles mm-hmm. or, or driving kids to school or, uh, you know, uh, just kind of running errands uh, to the hardware store. Um, if you can then turn that process and that experience electric, uh, that is a true game changer. Again, James Bell is uh, Director of Corporate Communications for Kia America. Uh, James, where do we get to more information? What's out there? What's next? What's coming? All of this technology. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, if you go to kia.com, we have a special section on the website there where you can actually plug in your information, your family's particulars, your driving habits, your needs, and it'll help direct you towards uh, the EV that best meets your needs. And even if it isn't Kia that you're, uh, you're looking for, it'll at least give you a sense of, of you know, what, what kind of uh, features and, and specification you'll need in the EV that you're considering. We will link that up on our webpage as well. James, always a pleasure. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A Cleveland man who left voicemail messages trying to hire someone to kill his son has been sentenced to prison. <laughs> okay. I There are all sorts of things wrong with this. I mean, when you talk about dumb criminals, Demson Ramsey was originally ca- uh, charged with two counts of complicity, which is would have carried a life uh, sentence uh, in prison. Instead, he pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of aggravated assault and was sentenced to 18 months behind bars. Mr. Ramsey says he was drunk on October 13th of 2022 when he 
tried to leave voicemail messages for a friend with one of them specifically offering $5,000 to have his son offed. (laughs) Don't leave a voicemail for a hitman. I mean, that should be be just basic knowledge, right? (laughs) If If you can't reach your hitman... Try and call back later. Don't leave a message. That's, that's just not smart. Um, he, uh, as it turns out, uh, Mr. Ramsey had uh, called a friend offering uh, the uh, bounty on his son's head. In actuality, Mr. Ramsey had dialed a wrong number uh, and did this more than one time, actually, and uh, left all of his messages on the voicemail of a dumpster rental company. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's even worse. <laughs> Left all of his messages on the voicemail of a dumpster rental company. All right. <laughs> oh, and probably, you know, when he gets arrested, he wondered, where did I go wrong? What did, where did, how did this master plan go so wrong? <clears throat> Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the broken news. Uh, this one from, oh boy, I don't know. I don't have the uh, dateline on, uh, on this one or the, uh, the location. Uh, authorities say a man who is accused of robbing four banks was tracked down by police from his, uh, from the note that he passed to, uh, teller Colin Love Jr., allegedly robbed the banks with an accomplice back in February. He went into the uh, local credit union, and I, again, I'm not sure exactly where this is. I apologize. Um, I don't have the uh, city or state where this was, but uh, uh, Mr. Love uh, went into the uh, credit union, gave the teller a note demanding money, and then fled on foot. Um, investigators, <laughs> investigators discovered that Mr. Lowe wrote the note on one of his paycheck stubs, <laughs> which eventually led to his arrest. <laughs> Use one of his paycheck stubs. <laughs> Again, when the cops showed up at his door with a uh, shiny pair of handcuffs, shiny pair of bracelets just for him, he had to have wondered, where did I go so wrong? Where did this go wrong? <laughs> How in the world did this happen? Oh, man. (laughs) Dumb criminals. Um, Sometimes it's not the criminals who are uh, are behaving badly in the uh, broken news. This is from Jacksonville, Florida, where uh, Michael Russell uh, is accused of punching a referee in the face at a youth soccer game. Uh, Mr. Russell charged onto the field. Uh, while the refs were trying to break up a fight between players. Um, here's the thing. Michael Russell is also known as Sergeant Michael Russell, a detective in the homicide division of the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. <laughs> you would think he would know better. Um, Sheriff T.K. Waters So we never relish arresting an employee of this agency. However, our collective belief in transparency, openness, and accountability outweighs any personal allegiance. We are a society of laws, and no one is above those laws. (laughs) A detective sergeant. 
Charged <clears throat> with attacking a youth soccer referee and people behaving badly. Uh, a couple of other items here in the uh, broken news this morning, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. Uh, Chandler West, a gentleman from uh, North Carolina, or lady from uh, Chandler. I, that could be either male or female. And in this case, it's a uh, female a woman in uh, North Carolina. I was at an estate sale when a purse caught her eye, uh, and she purchased it for $1. Uh, she made the purchase in 2021, said of the fine, quote, I just thought it looked old, unquote. After some research, she found the word Cartier engraved on the clasp of the bag. And turns out, a jeweler confirmed that the diamonds on the purse were not fake they're not costume jewelry they were real diamonds and uh, she had a genuine cartier art deco bag from the 1920s on her hand on her hands she uh, again she purchased it at this estate sale for a dollar one buck recently the bag sold at auction for seventy four hundred dollars not a bad return on your investment there why can't I ever find those things? You know, that's... Well, I probably wouldn't... I could be looking right at one of those purses like that and would never know what I was looking at, but apparently a lot of people passed that up. Bought it for a buck. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this is a great story. Uh, story with a happy ending. Max Woosie. He's uh, 13 years old. Uh, he's from Great Britain. And he is finally headed back inside... After sleeping in a tent for three years, he was 10 when he began his project in March of 2020, inspired by his neighbor who had passed away of cancer. Uh, my neighbor Rick, he said, gave me a tent and told me to have an adventure. And when uh, Rick passed away of cancer, he decided to uh, sleep outside in his tent every night as as a fundraiser for cancer research. Uh, the boy chronicled his project on social media, even spent nights in the London Zoo and the uh, Twickenham rub Rugby Grounds. So this kind of went viral and uh, spent three years sleeping outside every night in his tent. His original goal was to raise about $120 uh, for North Devon Hospice. His final tally, after three years, $860,000. Isn't that awesome? And that is all kinds of awesome. Good for you, my man. That is today's broken news. And updates on the odd and unusual side of the news. The stuff that kind of makes you smile this morning. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth. Using the media consumers' trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. 
And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It is opening day of the Major League Baseball season, and this is the day when hope springs eternal for every fan. But many Americans say that they have little hope of actually seeing their ball club play in person this year. According to a new survey, money is the biggest sticking point. Money uh, and the cost, uh, making it hard for the average worker to make ends meet and find enough money to to go to the ball game. Um, over one in three is thirty five percent of baseball fans say they will not be buying any tickets to a ball game in twenty twenty three. Not a single one. They won't go to a single game. Uh, this was a poll of more than one thousand people. It was commissioned by. PlayMA.com took a scientific look at the average worker's salary in each Major League Baseball team market and compared it to the rising cost of going to a game in modern times. And what they find, I thought this was very interesting, uh, on average, the average American worker would have to put in five hours of work to make enough money to attend three games in 2023. Been working so hard, I'm punching my car. You know that music. It's time for everybody to cut foot loose. We are joined in the studio this morning by members of the cast of this weekend's Findlay High School musical Footloose. And we're going to kind of go around the horn here. Uh, introduce yourselves. Uh, tell us uh, who you are, what character you're playing. Talk a little bit about the uh, sh- uh, your characters here. Okay. Um, my name is Eva. I play the character Vi, who is uh, Ariel's mother and also mm-hmm. Shaw's wife. Mm-hmm. I take on kind of a very caring role in trying to understand everybody and help everybody get through their issues together. Yeah. Okay, and we have... My name is Roz Hertenstein. I'm playing Ariel Moore. Um, Ariel's kind of a rebellious teenager going through some grief, and uh, she wants to have a good time, but also build a better relationship with her father. And next up we have... I'm Nolan. I play Ren McCormick, and basically I come from a city, Chicago, into this small town, and I just shake everything up, <laughs> and just a huge rebel. A dangerous outsider. Yeah, the dangerous outsider. Uh, hey, my name is Gaben Helms, and I play uh, Shaw Moore, Reverend Shaw Moore. I'm Ariel's father and Vi's husband. Kind of the leader of the town. Kind of help keep everybody in line, and I'm kind of just trying to lead us towards the righteous path. And I deal with a lot of people challenging that, and it's going to show a lot of growth throughout the very show. Very uncertain about this new kid from Chicago. Yeah, not yeah. very, not like him very much. Yeah. Uh, I know that most everybody has, has seen the movie. I'm, I'm curious, at the risk of making myself feel really old here, how many of you had actually seen the original movie before this, uh, before the musical was announced? Have you seen it? Okay. I had as well. Okay. I. I didn't watch it until, like, <laughs> the day before auditions. So, yeah. so the, the, the play follows the, the story pretty uh, closely. Um, so if you're familiar with the, uh, the story, you'd be familiar with the uh, synopsis uh, of the play. How much fun is it to do a, a, a musical like this 
as opposed to, I mean, you know, The Music Man or Brigadoon, those are great shows, but this is obviously much more contemporary and uh, much more relatable. Um, I think it's really fun since we can kind of relate to the characters and the environment more. It's just fun to play out roles that are kind of similar to what we face today, but obviously more fun and like yeah. Um How long have you been uh, working on this? Let's see. We got our parts somewhere in January. Mm-hmm. Yes. Auditions were right after Christmas break. So. And and is this one of those shows that you look forward to? You know rehearsing going to practice and and doing this uh, every day yeah it's a lot of fun it's like you said it's something that we all relate to and we know the story so Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun to kind of get to act it out and it's a lot more serious than i feel like a lot of musicals or plays you've done at the high school so far like it's kind of fun to take something and be like really emotional or be really uh sentimental about it there there is some i mean it's a fun uh show but there is there are some uh serious uh underlying issues Mm -hmm. and you know some emotional moments in that i mean ariel i know you have uh, a number of them in, yes. in your character. That's one thing I've really enjoyed doing is the emotional scenes. I can kind of let loose. I can yell at somebody. I can, you can cry on loose. stage. I can, yeah. I really enjoy those emotional aspects of the character. How many? Uh, I don't. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, obviously, you you guys are the uh, the lead characters. How many in the uh, in the cast? Is this? I mean, is this a really big show? I mean. It, it's, it's pretty big for especially Finley. I feel like it's bigger than yeah. usual. Yeah. So it's a, uh, a big cast. Yeah. Um, you guys are uh, doing the dress rehearsal today for the uh, middle school students. Uh, you know, that's really one of the uh, you know, the cool things you get to perform for the uh, middle school students. I, I'm guessing you guys remember watching the high school musical when you were in middle school? Yeah. yeah. So you know that you're probably going to inspire somebody to kind of follow in your footsteps here today, mm. right? Sure. So, kind of cool. And then uh, give us all of the uh, details on the show, then. It opens, you open tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yes, we do. And it's going to be tomorrow and Saturday at 7.30 and Sunday at 2 o'clock. Tickets on the weekend before Sunday are 15 for adults and 10 for students. On Sunday, it's 10 for adults and 5 for students. Um, and seniors can get in free with a senior pass if they contract uh, contact Andy Control. Very good. Uh, Again, the uh, Findlay High School musical Footloose is happening this weekend. Members of the cast with us uh, to uh, preview the show. It's going to be a a great time at uh, uh, Hemminger Auditorium. And, uh, guys, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. Certainly best of luck with the show. Appreciate it. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Senator Sherrod Brown discusses efforts to hold regulators accountable for dropping the ball on recent bank failures and the ongoing push for more stringent rail safety measures in the wake of the East Palestine incident several weeks ago. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.